Good morning. My name is Kip Hines. I'm one of the elders here. I know only half of you were here when I said that earlier, so I thought I'd say it again. And in case you were hoping for uh, Pastor Ben to be leading our service today, that's why I was kind of waiting until now to let you know he's not going to be here. We could draw you in just a little bit longer. He is uh, currently en route, uh, traveling back from, I believe, the Kansas City area where they were... uh, uh, with family and friends for, for the holidays. And so just be in prayer for Ben and Pam and the kids as they travel back. And I don't know their exact schedule. Maybe they're back already. I'm not 100% sure. I just know I was tapped with the sermon today, and so that's been my focus for this week. Um, and, and just in case, you know, we have a lot of new faces here at Calvary, and I, I'm thankful for that. Um, just in case you don't know very much about me, uh, my, I have a wife, Jennifer of 13 years, and she is so enthralled with me doing the sermon that she left. Um, oh, my son's back. I have an eight-year-old son, Lakin, and um, a six-year-old daughter, Bella, and also a two-and-a-half-year-old uh, daughter named Willow. And that's really the reason why my wife isn't here right now. She's really not that embarrassed of me. She's walking the halls right now, probably laughing at me. But uh, Our daughter Willow has presented a few challenges for us, and one of them right now is that uh, she has a blood disorder called neutropenia. That sounds like a big word, just means she doesn't have any white blood cells, which means she doesn't have the ability to fight infection, which is not a big deal because you can give her a shot and she'll get white blood cells like that, and it's not that big of a deal, except for we gave her that shot for eight months, and... Uh, She didn't gain a single pound because she was in pain every time we gave her the shot. So now we're balancing. We're not giving her the shot anymore because we need her to gain some weight. But because she doesn't have any white blood cells and we're not giving her the shot, then we have to kind of keep her away from as many germs as possible. So we can't really put her in germ-fest land called the nursery. And yet we want to be part of the service. So And she doesn't want to be part of the service, so we we take her out uh, each Sunday and, uh, and, and hear the sermon in one of our other locations that are wired to hear the sermon throughout this building. So just in case you're wondering why one of us ducks out of here each and every week, that's the reason why. Now, I agreed to, uh, to do this Sunday's sermon um, several months ago, and I was on my way to church last week, and... Um, I could barely drive because I just had these terrible back spasms going across, across the top of my back. And I've never had upper back problems before. I've had some lower back problems, but not any upper back problems. And I, I told my wife as we were driving here, I said, you know, somehow I believe it has something to do with the fact that I'm supposed to prepare a sermon for next week. Because it seems like any time I sign up for ministry or agree to do a little bit extra here at the church, that's when it gets turned up just a little bit in my personal life. Now, I don't think that's a coincidence either, because Ben and I have talked about that. Anytime he's embarking on a new sermon series or, or, or maybe doing something a little more edgy at the church, that, that he feels the attack of the inter- enemy come his way a little bit more, the colds get ramped up, uh, whatever happens, uh, tired kids, uh, whatever happens in your personal life just seems to be ramped up just a little bit. And so my, my back has been getting better all week, but then my wife has been suffering from migraine headaches all week. And there was a point where on Friday she had this beanbag on her head, 
And she just kind of mumbles something to me. She goes, oh, your sermon must be really good. <laughs> and, sorry, microphone stand. Um, I don't know if it's that good, migraine-worthy or not, but uh, we, we are here to proceed anyway. Um, I, I had started this sermon, you know, a couple months ago, and I originally had started with a topic called the gold standard. And I was just fumbling around trying to come up with some topics for it and, 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 and try to come up, try to, try to theorize, theologize my way through it. And, and then the Lord just said, why are you trying to do something that's really not you? Trying to talk about a topic that you don't really know that much about. So... He's been working me over the past couple of months and, and really putting in my life confirmation that Thanksgiving is what I should be talking about. And I know you're thinking, I just got out of the holiday season. Why do you want to put me back into the holidays again? And that's because Thanksgiving is the forgotten holiday. And it's my passion. If you know anything about me at all, you know that I love Thanksgiving. Oh boy, do I love Thanksgiving. And I just dread the fact that Thanksgiving really is now just the starter pistol for Christmas these days, that it really isn't a holiday that we can enjoy in and of itself. And I blame Kmart because they started this all off with being open on Thanksgiving, and which was nice because I needed a blender one Thanksgiving, and so I went to Kmart and bought a blender. But I think then Walmart found out that Kmart was making a couple of bucks on Thanksgiving, so then they decided, well, we can't have Kmart making those couple of bucks. That's got to be our dollars. And so all of a sudden they started opening like 3 o'clock on, on Thanksgiving Day. And everybody else has been doing the same thing. And so we don't even get to enjoy the full Thanksgiving holiday. But what makes Thanksgiving so wonderful? All of the delicious food. There's no other reason to celebrate than to get together, enjoy family and friends, and just eat. Pig out. Doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter where you are in life. You can always be thankful for something, and you can eat. Oh, what a beautiful holiday. Oh, and the pumpkin pie. Why do we only eat this once a year? This is such a de delightful treat. Why can't we just pull this thing out more often? I love pumpkin pie. Anybody with me on that pumpkin pie? Yeah, love the pumpkin pie. But every time we have a pie social around here around Thanksgiving, it's all pumpkin or apple. I think we should have pumpkin pie all year round and lots of it. Oh, and then there's football. All day, football. Back in my day when we only got three channels, you'd watch the Cowboys or the Detroit Lions, and there was an excuse to just sit around and and you could maybe even take a nap and blame it on the turkey, whatever, and just watch football. What a great holiday. Just take a day off from work, eat, and watch football. That's why I'm such a big th fan of Thanksgiving. There are other reasons as well. <laughs> I believe Thanksgiving is just a staple that should be part of our lives. And uh, let's just pray for the Lord's blessing on the rest of this sermon today. Dear Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for the ability to come here and freely worship your name. And we're not here to thank you today because of stuff you've given us, because of things you've done for us, even though those are great. 
We're here to thank you today because of who you are, the one true and living God. And dear Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to deliver your sermon today. Let any distractions here today be something that we just ignore. The words coming out of my mouth are not going to be perfect, but they will be made perfect when they are heard by each and every person here through the power of your Holy Spirit. We just pray now for your blessing for the rest of this service and beyond as we take you with us and become a blessing to someone we meet this week. We pray this in your name. Amen. A couple of years ago when I was in college, I, um, see I had hair back then. See Lake and there's proof. I did have hair. Back when I was in college, I adopted this theme verse that I ran across in Philippians. Uh, Philippians 4, 6. And it just struck me so hard at that time that I thought, you know, this is going to be my lifelong theme verse, and it has been ever since. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And of course, when I was in college, which once again was just a couple of years ago, when I saw this verse, what I saw, what I heard, was that whatever was a problem in my life, all I had to do was pray about it, and God would take care of it. My prayers would be answered according to the way I prayed them, if I had enough faith. But a couple of years have passed me by since I first read this verse, and I've come to find out that this is still a fabulous verse, but for other reasons. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. And you have to read it over and over again. Do not be anxious about most things. No, about anything. So, it's pretty clear. And when you read this passage of the Bible and you go to other passages of the Bible, the reason why we're not supposed to be anxious about anything, for one, I believe that anxiety is stressful. And if you put your full faith in Jesus Christ, that anxiety level should be dropping quite a bit. Other passages of the Bible, Matthew 6, 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day, or I like to say this day, is its own trouble. Now, I mentioned briefly my daughter Willow and some of the health problems we've had with her and, and, and my other kids as well. Um, you know, the, we'll start to hear some sneezing or whatever and, and my wife will wonder if we, we do we need to take them in? Do we, do we need to get some antibiotics? Do, what do we need to do? And, and I'll just take a breath and usually it's out of pure laziness. I don't want to get up and do anything. I'll just say, 
If it's a problem, it'll present itself. We don't have to go looking for it. If that's tomorrow's problem, we can worry about that tomorrow. But today we got our own set of problems to worry about. In fact, I don't think we need to give Google Maps location for our house when it comes to trouble. Trouble usually finds us without too much of a problem. And I think if you're the same as I am, it's the same for you. That you don't have to go look for more trouble. Trouble will find you. So let's just worry about today's trouble, not tomorrow's. And if you're one of these people that you really like to think through things, and, and you, you read this in the Bible, and it, it still, yeah, that's all fine and good and everything. That's church speak. That's Christ talk. But really, I have a hard time. I'm responsible for my family. I'm responsible at work. So how can I not worry about the next few days? Well, I love to point to uh, studies, these are scientific studies that we'll show you eventually. Tom, I'm probably going to need a little help here. There we go, the wheel of worry. That, that most of the things we worry about in life, they're not worth worrying about anyway. Because 40% of what we worry about really is never happening. 30% of what we worry about has already happened. 12% of what we worry about is petty, really doesn't really matter much anyway. 10% more or less minor health concerns, but the more stress you invoke in your life, the higher those numbers climb when it comes to stress-induced minor health problems. So then there's 8% of what we worry about in life that is real. So whatever we worry about, there's only 8% of it that is something we should actually be concerned about. And what that's supposed to say, and it didn't translate, is that out of that 8%, only half of it is something that we have control over anyway. So 4% of what we really worry about scientifically is the only thing we have to really control in our lives. So we spend 96% of our worries concerned about something we have absolutely no control over. It's one of the reasons why we need to be anxious for nothing. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The rest of this verse goes on to detail how this is a way for you to file an official petition for stress relief from the Almighty. When you look at this verse, by prayer and supplication, supplication means that you realize that you're in a subordinate position and by some translations of the Bible actually use the word petition, that you're making an official request to God for stress relief. That you understand that he is the Almighty and you are not, that you rely on him for stress relief. Now, 
Jack talked about this last week when he was talking about Habakkuk and the study of Habakkuk, how it doesn't matter what it is, God wants to hear about it. doesn't matter if it's good, bad, indifferent. He just wants a relationship. So that's what this verse is talking about, is filing an official petition for stress relief with God. But the key part of that verse is that it is with thanksgiving. That's part of the reason why I love thanksgiving. It seems like when you ask God to take care of your needs, it goes hand in hand with thanksgiving. The two are combined. It's not just this passage of the Bible, but several passages of the Bible refer to the necessity of thanksgiving. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I think we look at this and we think, how in the world can we possibly do this? Give thanks in all circumstances. How in the world can we possibly do this? Just got dumped by my girlfriend. Don't feel like giving thanks. Just went to the doctor, found out you have cancer. Don't feel like giving thanks. Your marriage may be falling apart. Does that seem like a circumstance where you'd start off by giving thanks? Preparing to bury a child. Another one of life's circumstances. Is that a way you usually start that grieving process by giving thanks to God? And I think a lot of times we look at these verses and think that I'm commanded to be happy in all circumstances. And, that, and that's not what it says. The Bible says we should, should give thanks. And, and I believe what the purpose of giving thanks here is that it adjusts our focus with our prayers and our needs. It adjusts our focus from the problem to the solution. That we realize that, yeah, my needs are great. My needs are absolutely overwhelming me right now. But if I think about it, and I'm able to find something to give thanks for, I'm able to realize that God has brought me through worse things before, and he's going to be there again. So it shifts, once again, the focus from the problem to the solution. So that's why we are commanded to give thanks in all circumstances. And it's not necessarily, once again, a command to be happy. I believe it's a command to be content. Content that you live within Jesus, the blood of, under the blood of Jesus Christ. And that you are content with whatever may come your way as we go through life. That your salvation does not depend on what happens to you. That your salvation 
depends solely on trusting on Christ and trusting in Christ. Now, I was uh, doing some preparation for this sermon, and, um, you know, I don't know how Ben usually does it. Uh, I don't know how Jack does it. Um, Both of them went to the Dallas Theological Seminary together. Um, I I really felt that uh, I did my best preparation by watching Oprah. Um, Now, she happened to be doing an interview with T.D. Jakes here. Now, I I don't know, I've never heard of T.D. Jakes before this, and I'm not going to claim that I know anything about his theology, and, and I'm not going to claim that uh, this church supports his theology or anything like that. But he, he illustrated the feeding of the 5,000 story in a way to me that I'd never heard before. In fact, I downloaded the entire sermon that he gave on the feeding of the 5,000 and listened to it just because he illustrated thanks during that miracle like I had never heard before. And so I'm going to credit T.D. and Oprah for inspiration on this sermon. Now, that's probably something you never thought you'd hear coming into these doors today. But I believe God does put certain people in our lives to direct us in certain ways, to lead us down a path that he wants us to go down. But what T.D. said during the sermon on the feeding of the 5,000 is that, first of all, you had 5,000 men. I know you've heard the story that there's probably more like 15 or 20,000 people there because it was only the men they were counting and that they were all hungry, starving, famished because they followed Jesus around listening, clinging to every single word that he had. In fact, they ignored the, the fact that they were so hungry and they let this go on and on and on that they would much rather feed on the bread of life than they would on dinner. And I just want you to remember that when it gets about noon here and you're looking at your clocks. It won't get quite to noon this morning. But I, I found that interesting, that they were willing to follow him anywhere to listen to more, than what he, more of what he had to say. And then when they were analyzing the problem, they were analyzing the problem that they had, that they had five, fifteen, twenty thousand hungry people there. That when the little boy then came with the two fish and the five loaves, and first of all, he was one of the people they didn't count initially, because he wasn't one of the five thousand men that a possible solution to this problem came from somebody who wasn't counted. Somebody they didn't count on. But then the first step that Jesus took as soon as he was given the two loaves, I should say the two fish and the five loaves, the first step that he took was to give thanks. How crazy is that? You've got 15,000, 20,000 people on a hillside 
clamoring for food. Could you imagine being one of the, the 12 apostles or the disciples that have been running around the countryside, scurrying, trying to come up with money, trying to come up with a food solution to feed fifteen to 20,000 people? And here they have a measly two fish and five loaves. But the first thing that Jesus does is he gives thanks. Dear Lord, I thank you for this. How many times in our life have we been presented with a problem that is overwhelming and there's absolutely no solution in sight or any solution that we do see seems minuscule? And that's exactly what happened during the feeding of the 5,000 is the solution, which is right there in front of them, seems petty. Seems like that's not a solution at all. But okay, I give it to you, God. And that's when the miracle takes place. A teaching moment for sure. Not only does synchronizing your prayer with thanksgiving adjust the focus of the prayer from the problem to the solution, but as we see from the feeding of the 5,000, it helps unlock the blessings Unfortunately, when I say blessings in the American culture, what are we thinking of? Money. That things are going to be made easier for me. Better job, better cars, easier life. But that's not what the Bible refers to as a blessing. When I say that... uh, Praying with thanksgiving helps unlock a blessing. It does so by, once again, focusing on the solution, God the Father, instead of the problem. But it then opens up our eyes to the possibility of other solutions that are out there. The, the two fish, the five loaves that may be coming into your life and giving you a blessing. Now, I have to use examples in my life because I don't know anybody better than I know myself. So, I'll once again talk about my daughter, Willow. And just put it into perspective what I'm talking about. When my daughter, Willow, was born two and a half years ago, and we were told she's got a major heart defect and also she has Down syndrome. my mind just started racing, 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 racing. For one straight day, I was just, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we, how am I going to financially do this? Uh, I just took a new job. What am I going to do there? How is that going to work out there? Well, chances are, if she's like other Down syndrome kids, she's going to be with us well into her 20s and her 30s. How am I going to live that long? I'm already in my 40s. What are we going to do for our other kids? Is this going to rob the time from them? What are we going to do? That happened for a day. Amazing how it comes full circle. When I'm commanded to be anxious about nothing, and I obeyed the commandment, 
it gets better. I remember in that hospital room saying, God, I don't know what's in store for us and our family. I really don't know. But I give her to you. Obviously, we were handpicked. We've been crafted and molded to be her parents. That her brother and sister were handpicked to be her brother and sister. That if we do believe, as Jack told us last week, that God is in control, this is where we prove it. God is in control. So, dear Lord, I just give her to you. The control I give to you. The worries of today. Maybe not today, but tomorrow I give to you. And I just remember thinking, she is going to be a blessing. And I don't know how, but she has been a blessing. In fact, I was talking to my son last night, and he just out of the blue, he said, I'm so glad God gave us Willow. Because she's so fun. Now, I don't know if God gave us Willow because he knew Lakin needed Willow, Bella needed Willow, Mom needed Willow, I needed Willow, you guys needed Willow. I have no idea. But I remember another conversation I had with Jim Horsley. It was right here after a potluck. And he said to me, you know, I, growing up, and I would see people with Down syndrome, and I'd see other people with disabilities, and I would wonder, God, why? Why? Why would you create people that are supposedly so flawed or mistakes? And he said, then it, it dawned on me. They are not mistakes. That I can see what a blessing Willow is in your lives. That's where the blessing comes in. We're not any richer. We don't have any, our cars haven't changed, our house is the same, but the blessings have increased because we focus not on the problem, but on the solution. And that's. That's where your perspective comes in. Now, if you just don't believe that God is in control, that life is really just a pull of the slot machine, you get what you get, and that prayers really don't matter that much. God will, whatever happens, happens. There's really no point in faith. And I'm reminded of that every time I empty the garbages here at Calvary. We have this plaque that's hanging in the uh, gathering room. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. 
So if you don't believe that God is in control of your life and that your prayers don't matter, there's really no need for that faith. If we believe Philippians to say what I initially thought it said was pray and God will deliver what you want, there's really no need for faith there either because it's just going to happen. But the faith comes in whenever we trust God to give us what we need when we need it so that we can be blessed and be a blessing to somebody else. And I believe that's why when you go on to verse 7, verse 7 is unlocked. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Once again, doesn't promise riches. Doesn't promise fortune. Doesn't promise that your life will be made easier. But what the scripture does promise is that when you head your prayer with thanksgiving, you're thankful for what you already have, that whatever God gives you and entrusts with you from there on, part of that will be a peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding and will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you. We come to you with a heart of thanksgiving. Because you have done so much for us. When we think back and think of all the things that we've gone through with your help, it's easy to be thankful. Being thankful helps us refocus our prayer. Instead of gimme, 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 I need, it's, it goes to, I need you, and you are the solution. So, dear Lord, we just pray now for every single one in this auditorium, dear Lord, that uh, you impress upon everybody's heart a heart of thanksgiving. Give them reassurance, a peace beyond all understanding that you are firmly in control and you have a perfect design for their life. Not a life that's guaranteed to be easier, but a life that's guaranteed to be blessed and fulfilled through you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Would the ushers come forward for this morning's offering? Let's pray for the offering. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we are thankful for who you are and what you've done in our lives. God, we're, we're thankful for the way that you've blessed us in so many ways, especially, especially here in Fargo and Moorhead. And God, uh, I just pray that you would move in our hearts um, for this year resolve to be thankful 
and joyful in everything that you do for us. God, I just thank you that that we can cast our, our cares on you. We can cast our anxiety and our stress on you, God. You can take it. You're a big God. Father, may we just center around you and let you let you lead us into this next year. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you.